the Sensibly Speaking podcast. This is Chris Shelton, critical thinker at large. And I have got another action-packed interview for you this week with a former Scientologist and Sea Org member. Her name is Katrina Reyes. Hi, Katrina. Welcome to my show. Hi. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Thanks for being on. Um, You did, I think it was about a year or so ago, around there, a three-part interview with Jeffrey Augustine. You kind of told your whole story. Um, I will put a link to that in the description of this podcast uh, and on my YouTube channel. Um, We don't necessarily have to go over your entire story, which took hours to talk about. Um, But I would like my viewers who are not familiar with you to get some kind of breakdown of your Scientology background. If you could, please take it away. Sure. Um, well, coming into Scientology in the Sea Org was like the, um, American dream for us since I was born in, um, Siberia, Russia. Uh, Russia is very big for people that don't know if you go towards Mongolia and Kazakhstan and Uzbekistan, that's around that area. Um, which obviously is um, kind of equivalent to a third world country, um, living-wise, since it's not a mega city like Moscow or St. Pete. So my grandmother is the one that got into Scientology, and she got my mother in, and I was only 11 years old when I signed the Sierra contract. Uh, we came to Flag, to Clearwater, that's what we were recruited for. And we started EPF in 99, September of 99. And my mom finished it pretty fast. I was on it for about a year. And that was when the advanced organization was opening in uh, at Flag. So they put me on post as a tech page in the AO. Okay, and the AO being the advanced organization, which is the organization that delivers the OT levels. Yes, all the way up to OT7. Okay, and what does a tech page, you're 11 years old, you're in the Sea Org now, what does a tech page do? So basically, I call the public, I schedule my, basically, the definition of my statistics, my post was, uh, public routed in session on time without wasting any of the auditor's time. So I had to make sure that every single audit- auditor's schedule was packed and he didn't really have too much downtime because their time is precious. Um, so I will call the public. I will schedule them the night before for their next day. And then once the session is over, I'll call the next one. You need to come in. I need to make sure that they were sessionable, which is physically ready to go into session, had enough sleep, ate enough, everything, took their vitamins. And that's pretty much it. It was scheduling and getting people in back to back into the session, basically. To make it really, really down to um, the real world is if you have um, a doctor and then, you know, they're scheduling an appointment and somebody at the front desk is telling them, so-and-so is here, here is their 
you know, medical file and this and that, and then they have to basically get the next patient in. But here you have to make sure that the doctor doesn't even have two minutes in between. Like they have to be scheduled to the pack from the morning till night. That's pretty much it. Right. Okay. And so you're 11 years old. How much at the beginning? when I finished. 12. Okay, great. So you come in there, you start doing this work. Um, now, as you went over with, um, with Jeff, you had come over here. Um, there's all kinds of details we're skipping, but I, I'm curious about a few pertinent details, which, were, which will be, I think, relevant later here in this podcast as we start talking about the uh, R1, the religious worker visas, and how people are coming over here from other countries to work for the C organization. Um, so there's just a couple points I'd like to hit on, one of them being that you were a minor and you were being put to work all day, every day, right away. Um, how much of your, what, what, let's, let's talk about your, uh, tell me a bit about your schedule. So on the EPF, which is the state's project force, um, the reason why I was on it for so long is because I had a hard time studying. And because you have to do five basic courses, you know, the, the basic study course, the welcome to the sea work, the ethics, uh, the personal grooming course, and another one I forgot. Um, and they were in Russian. They did provide them in Russian, but I am jumping into Scientology Lingua. And before joining the sea work, I think the prerequisites were to be a Scientologist for two years. But I've only done like very simple, you know, those tiny little booklets of like the assist course and success through the children's success through communication course. So I never really dived into the Scientology terminology word. So here I am listening to welcome to the Sealer course, which is five very long lectures. And it's over and hover talking about the ship and all these terminologies. First of all, about the ship, the starboard, the, the port and all. And then you were throwing in Scientology language in there. I mean, I was stuck for a long time. I had really hard time getting through those courses. So that is what really took so long for me to finish the EPF. Um, if I could interrupt you for a second, let me ask you a question about something. I'm curious. Did anybody sit, did the super, you know, in a course room, Scientology course room situation, you have a supervisor, not a teacher. You, it's a self-study where you get through the materials at your own pace and a supervisor is there to assist you, help you answer questions, um, not explain things to you that L. Ron Hubbard is explaining. His job, the supervisor's job is to get you to get what L. Ron Hubbard is saying. Mm -hmm. Um, I was a supervisor for years, right? So um, did anybody ever sit down with you and as, you know, you're 11, 12 years old, you know, newly in the United States, in the United States for the first time, Russian native speaking, barely know any English. I imagine except what you're picking up here and there. Yeah. I, yeah. I had zero English when, when we came. Right. So, but, you know, so great. So you've got Russian materials, yay, but... Did anybody ever sit down with you and do what's called word clearing, where they actually worked with you flat out, you know, for the whole study period to explain the words to you or, or have you read them out loud to them or anything like that? Did anything like that happen? 
Well, first of all, I would like to point out that there was only one supervisor. How many students? All of the EPF. Mm-hmm. Um, the EPF at that point, because there was like the, the, um, the staff course room was divided because the EPF couldn't mingle with the regular Sea Org members. So they had the EPF course room and then they had the Sea Org members course room. The EPF course room at that point, um, it was a lot because all the int range kids came down from LA. So it was about close to 80 to 90 people packed in that tiny little room. Yeah. There were 80 to 90 students just on the EPF? Yes. EPF and the EPF of the EPF. Wow. So that that is actually the largest EPF I've ever heard of at one time. The the for the EPF is Scientology's boot camp, okay? I've, I'm pretty sure everybody on my channel, you know, who's going to listen to this is going to understand this stuff. We talked about it extensively in, in other videos, but it's boot camp for the Sea Org, and it involves a lot of study, like we've been going over. And normally, the normal ratio in Scientology for one supervisor to, you know, students is 20 students to one supervisor. I have personally supervised 90 students, and it is insane there's you 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 know every you are running you're sweating as a supervisor answering questions getting references doing this doing that get this dictionary it's on you know the thing you're looking for is on page 20 paragraph three of the introduction to scientology ethics book go look it up you know you're answering quite you know you're just doing this like flat out as the supervisor so i can only imagine then that the answer to my last question is you were pretty neglected Yes, not only I was pretty neglected, but there was the language issue. Right. I'm reading a course in Russian. The supervisor does not speak my language. I can't even communicate to them and say, this is my problem. I'm not understanding this. But there was about 10 other Russians on EPF at that time. I was the only child. Everybody else were... um, mostly adults. And so what the supervisor would do is he would team me up with the adults and basically pair me up, twin me up and try to get the work clearing and everything else. But the problem is that those people were just as green as I was. Right. So they're sitting there in Russian trying to figure all this out too. Yeah. (laughs) And a lot of times they didn't want to spend too much time with me because they're sick and tired of being on EPF, they want to get through their courses to finish the EPF. And they're like, we don't want to spend four hours sitting here with you trying to get you through this course. One, I need to get my shit done so I could get off of this hellhole. So yeah, I was pretty much neglected and it was just kind of left to fed off, you know, for myself. Well, that explains why it took how long to get through the EPF? Almost a year. Wow. Was that the same time that you were doing the purification rundown? No, 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 no. Okay. So this is even before, because you then spent another year going into the sauna every day, five hours a day? Yes. (laughs) At 12 years old. To to detox your body. I was already at Tech Page in the AL. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So yeah, it was, well, it was close to six. Because 
you come in in the I would do my pure first thing in the morning. So I will come in the morning, you have half an hour to run, you know, by the time you change, by the time you go into your running clothes, by the time you check in with the purify see, then they give you a, a handful of vitamins at 12 years old. I remember I, my, my hand was full of vitamins and uh, you take the vitamins and then you go for a half an hour run which that I used to love because I used to go on the bridge. I didn't go on the treadmill. Um, I would go on the bridge, the, 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 the bridge that would go past the, the bay. And then it's the five-hour sauna. So altogether, it was close to six, six and a half hours a day. Wow. That's, uh, and that was, okay, so that's, that was all happening during year number two. First year number one, was let's get you through the EPF. Yes. Okay. So um, I'm curious. Fifty, how, fi about fifty or so of these ranch it ranch kids came down. Did that happen before or after you got there? Around the same time. Around the okay, cool. Mm -hmm. And what was did you form relationships with these kids? Were these the were these your peers, the people your age around or? How did that work? What was it? I mean, that's a lot of people. Yeah. You know, to suddenly just they dump were, on flag. Yeah, they were all different ages, of course. Some of them were a little older. Um, I think I was one of the youngest um, while we were on the EPF. Um, what I got bullied a lot by these okay. immigrants. And the reason why is because my mother, before we came to flag, decided to cut off all my hair and give me like a boy's haircut. Oh, that's unfortunate. Yes. So um, I had this boy's haircut. Nobody knew if I was a boy or a girl. <laughs> um, and Did I your mother have some compelling reason to do this to you? She, she had short hair at that time. So uh, she got a haircut to kind of cut it shorter. Um, and then, oh, that's what it was. My grandmother was saying that we're going to join the EPF and we're not going to have time, too much time to go to the salon or to go here or to go there or to get a haircut. Oh. So might as well cut it short so you have a lot of time before you need a haircut next time. I don't know why they couldn't just leave my long hair alone, but they decided to cut it. So, uh, and, and I'm 11, so I'm wearing, you know, and at that time the EPF didn't have uniforms in 99. So we were wearing civil clothes. Oh. And I was, just, I was just wearing, you know, pants and a t-shirt. And a lot of times people didn't know if I was a boy or a girl and I didn't speak because I didn't speak English. So I was always very quiet. And so I would get picked at. And then when I did started learning English, a lot of times I would mix up the words and even what I would curse or try, you know, try to be cool. And of course, learn all the curse words at the beginning. Um, I would say wrong. And it was just, everybody used to just laugh at me. Um, as the time went on, yeah, I, I did, we did build a very close relationship with a lot of those, um, the kids from the Imp Ranch, because a lot of them were assigned to go to the Flag Ale, and they were all posted there as well. So imagine 
five HGCs opened up. You need two, three tech pages for each HGC. You need a board IC for each HGC. So majority of us went there. And yeah, kind of, I actually grew up with Benjamin Rinder. Oh, Mike's kid. Yep. He what was, was a he like? He was um, always a rebel. I will, I will, he was never happy with anything. One thing that I will say is that he was always very, he was hurt. I, I don't want to say resentful. And I think the resentment came from being hurt with his dad because he never saw him. And when he did come into town, when Mike would come to town, um, I just remember him just being pissed. And it, there was just always that. Yeah, yeah. Mike, Mike being pissed or Benjamin? Benjamin. Being? He, well, we okay. call, he, everybody called him BJ. Okay. Um, yeah. So he, I think he was pissed. And I remember having that conversation is because he would say that his father is here but he doesn't have time for him. He hasn't seen him. Like he, they haven't had like that family quote unquote time. Um, and sometimes I guess Mike would be in Clearwater for weeks and he would be genuinely just upset. And I think after years and years of just being disappointed and upset, it went into hate and resentment. Yep, yep. Right. And he this is the time period I'm sorry? He would be going to ethics a lot. <laughs> oh, I bet. I'll bet. It's or very, it's, it's. Handle his ill feelings towards his father. Oh, tell me more about that. Well, I mean, I don't know all the details because that's ethics, obviously, but we were teenagers and we would still talk to each other about all the stuff. Um, he was causing problems for Mike Rinder because he wants to see him. He wants to spend time with his dad. His dad isn't being a quote unquote father of the year, which is not even his fault because you know, they won't even let him have family time. And he was causing Mike problems. Like he, he would, he would be putting stress onto Mike's line. So it's kind of like, well, your dad has a lot of important things to do. Why are you being such a baby? Like, knock it off. And all he wanted was just to see his dad and spend some time with his dad, really. Did you run into the same situation with any other of the ranch kids? None of them saw their parents. All, okay. I mean, did, I mean, no. but did they talk about it, complain about it? Were they anxious, concerned, upset about it? It came off very rarely, but I think they were just so used to it by then. Right. It was just the way of life and us. Um, I feel like I wasn't as close with them as they were with each other. And like they were the family, all the kids, that was their family. And they were used to it kind of at that point that we only have each other and that's it. Right, right. I, I, I thought that might be how that was. And I was just kind of curious yeah. how the relationships worked. 
This was the time period uh, when the Lisa McPherson backlash was still being, you know, tamped down and, and dealt with. The, I, think it, I think by 99, the legal issues had been settled, I, I, I think. But, um, but the Lisa McPherson trust with Bob Mitten was set up right, right around the corner from the flag land base, and they were making trouble for Scientology. And, and by making trouble, I mean they were telling the truth about the Sea Org and about the death of Lisa McPherson, and this was still kind of hot. So I imagine that that and other kinds of legal things and OSA-type activities were consuming Mike Rinder's time because he was at that time the head of OSA. So, yeah. um, so I, funny, I, and I, I don't say that, that to make it, I'm sorry? Funny thing about that. Yeah. Until about five years ago, I never even heard of Lisa McPherson. And I wow. was at Flag in the Seorg for all those years. Now, I remember particularly very well when they were in front of the Fort Harrison, which is funny, Leah just did that episode of them protesting in front of Fort Harrison. And I was on the EPF at that time. And the buses wouldn't come to the side gate where we normally would come in by the pool. They would bring us to the, um, to the other entrance and they would put out these barriers by the gate. So when you get off the bus, you don't see anything around you and you just go right into the gate and go into the Fort Harrison. And they would have uh, security basically not allowing us to walk on the streets at all, which later on we were allowed to walk. And now I'm realizing why we were, because I worked in Sandcastle. So when I, because in the bank clearwater building that's where everybody used to eat so in order to go to sandcastle you have to walk by that 33 building at least the mcpherson's trust and we were never allowed to walk there and then at one point we were allowed to walk there and i was like oh okay i don't and i had i i had no idea what was going on i mean absolutely no idea that's just that's just how isolated and brainwashed you are. And I remember asking, who are those people with the pickets? Because I remember I was on the EPF and I was cleaning the, um, I was part of the cleaning crew and I was, we were cleaning the, um, the Crystal Ballroom, 10th and 11th floor in Fort Harrison. So I was looking out the window and I see all these people with the pickets. Of course, I can't read the pickets at that height, but I remember asking like, who are those people like why are they having pickets and the security told me that somebody read ot3 materials and they went nuts they went crazy so they're outside spreading ot3 materials and that's why we cannot go near them or listen to anything they were saying unbelievable I don't want to hear OG3 material. I don't want to die. <laughs> it's the exact perfect thing to tell a Scientologist. You can't yeah. go over there because they are spreading bad things and you'll die. And, and of course, nobody thinks to ask, well, then how come they're not dead? <laughs> yeah. 
Well, no, they told us that that person has lost their, like, their marbles. They lost their mind. Right, 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 right. There you go. There you go. Crazy. They're like psychopaths because they read it and have lost it. Right. So I was like, I'm not going near any crazies. Like, no, 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 no. It's okay. I'll stay away. (laughs) Perfect handling. But let's let's actually back up a second because I'd like to do a little compare and contrast on some things. Um, you grew up in Siberia. Yes. I would like you to tell my mostly American audience what that was like. Um, okay, so there is a little backstory. Yep. And I guess that kind of explains how my grandmother got into Scientology in the first place. Because your grandmother got in and then she's the one who got you and your mom in. Yes. Good, okay. My grandmother, so after the fall of the Soviet Union in Russia, she moved, um, she got divorced from my grandfather and she actually moved to a country that's very close to my hometown in Siberia. It's called Uzbekistan. And she moved there uh, because living there was better compared to our city. And she took my mom and my uncle by herself and moved there away from all her family. So she has been that type of person that could literally pick up, dump everybody and just go wherever she feels like. So I was actually born in Uzbekistan. Um, And we lived there until I was three years old. And then we moved back to Siberia, Barnaul, with the rest of my family. My grandmother stayed there by herself. So she was never really involved in my life because we lived in Siberia, she stayed there, and she was just kind of doing her own thing. Never really, I guess, cared? I don't know. Um, She felt betrayed that her kids left her because my uncle went back to Siberia, my mom went back to Siberia, and she's like, well, you guys all left me, so F you. Which she moved them out in the first place, but okay. Um, so yeah, she always had very ill feelings towards her kids that like, you guys abandoned me. You just left me. Okay. Okay. So then she started doing her own thing and she, um, she got into Herbalife. Herbalife, Herbalife, whatever that yeah. is. Yeah, Herb- Herbalife, I think is how Herbalife. we would say it in America. Yeah. Yeah. And Herbalife and, is, and that's the multi-level marketing, selling foods stuff? It's pyramid or? system. Yeah, it's like um, Alme, the, the cosmetic company, and, and, and it's the pyramid system. You buy merchandise and then you sell it to whoever. Okay. Um, which she actually didn't do that bad. She was always a good salesperson. I guess she just had a knack for it. Um, and then there was a conference for Herbalife um, somewhere in either Clearwater or Tampa Bay area or something like that. 
So she went, uh, I think it was 96, between 95 and 97, she went there. And somebody there at the conference was a Scientologist. So they got her in and things went really fast. She got in. Um, she only did a few courses as far as I understand. And then she signed a CR contract right then and there. Boom. Now she started the EPF flag. Now she has that six months tourist visa. So she starts Damn, her... That's, that's actually really something that she didn't sign a staff contract. She signed a Sea Org contract. I'm just yes. like thinking about this. Damn, there was a Sea Org recruiter at the Herbalife convention? No, that... it was a Scientologist. But then once she got in with that Scientologist... Okay. They, they got her in to the flag and Sea Org and the whole nine yards. Got it. Okay, so it wasn't quite... Boom, boom, but it was more like boom, 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 Sea Org. Yes. Okay, yeah. got it, got it. And there they, they were a few Russians that did live there already that were Scientologists in Clearwater. So she starts her EPF, and then she needed to do PureF, and she wasn't completing her PureF fast enough. So what happens is that her visa ran out and she overstayed her visa by like, I think a day or two days because they wouldn't let her go until she finishes the Purif. And this and was a travel visa. This was not, she, she had only come over for the seminar and then planned on yeah. going home and then all this happened. So she was only over here on a tourist visa in the first place. Yes, for six months. She was allowed to stay in the country for six months. Yep. So she finished the Purif which was at the end of all her EPF courses. She finished the EPF, she finishes Purif, but she overstays her visa by a couple of days. Now she goes back to, now she goes to Moscow because that's where uh, Russia has an org there, the big org. Basically they ship her there and they say, we're gonna give you a post in Russia. So you're gonna be a flag um, FSE, flag service consultant. Which is sort of like an extension unit for flag in another country or another area, which sells flag services and gets people yeah. to go to Clearwater and do those services. Exactly. Yeah, they're called flag service consultants. They have a big office in yeah. LA. There's, I mm -hmm. think, an office in New York, and they set up one in, in Moscow. Okay. Yeah. Or like if some public has a certain program that they have to finish in order to qualify to come to flag, she will keep track of those public in the Moscow org to make sure they do whatever they need to do to go to flag. Right. So since she couldn't legally be in the steward flag, they just went, okay, we'll give you a job in Moscow. So since she overstayed her visa by two days, the embassy, uh, the United States embassy basically banned her from coming back into United States for 10 years. She could not get a visa and she could not enter United States for 10 years. So that's her job. She was posted there. All right. Once she was posted there, that's when she got my mom in. And my mom, um, 
let's just put it in the most nicest words that I can put it. She was a mess her whole life. She had me when she just barely turned 17. So she was a teen mom. Um, always had issues with men and relationships. She could never hold a, a healthy relationship or if she would get into a relationship, it would be a very unhealthy relationship. So she, um, you know, men was always number one priority for her in my life. So even before we joined the Sea Org, it was kind of like I was her, you know, I was on the bottom of the list. It, yeah, I wasn't the most important thing. And she would get into a lot of relationships. Um, I had my stepfather that is at flag right now. He's actually my fourth stepfather. So, you know, and, and did, did I understand it? Did I understand it right from your interview with Jeff that he's actually been the longest term? stepdad you've also had like this this last relationship which happened with your mom and him while she was in Scientology that's the longest one she's kept she went through three before she even got into Scientology yeah okay yeah All right and the other two weren't official marriages but in Russia if you live together for longer than six months you are a commonwealth marriage six months <laughs> Yeah. Really? In Russia, it's only six months? Yeah. Wow. It's like six years here. I mean, it depends on the state. Uh, but I, I, I'm, I, I'm fine with that. I'm not, I'm not challenging yeah. you. I'm just surprised it's such a short period of time. I don't know if it's legal, but, or maybe it's just the, the, the common understanding in, in the society that, like, if you live together for that long, then you're pretty much married type of thing. Right. So my that's, um, that's pretty much Commonwealth marriage. That's how yeah. that's pretty much yeah. Yeah. Okay. So her official marriage was only my biological father, and then this stepdad right now in the Sea Org legal marriage. Okay. All right. The other two were not legal marriages, but they were together between like three to four years, living okay. together, living like yep. living. Like, I would call them dad. You know, it wasn't by name. I was calling them dad. Um, so my first stepdad was very physically abusive to me and my mom. Uh, physically and mentally abusive. Um, then my mom got out of that relationship. And then... So in between her relationships, she would be like, okay, I have no man to take care of, so I'll take care of you. And I think those are like the most fond memories that I have with my mom because she would actually pay attention to me and we would do things and um, I wouldn't be home, you know, by myself all the time. Like at five years old, first grade, which I started at five in Russia, I would take the, uh, you know, the railroad trolleys, mm -hmm. um, like the, the ones they have in San Francisco. Oh, yeah. But, but we have like the really, really old one, like the ones from like the 60s. Right. And for me to go to school, I have to walk, take that trolley, three stops, and then walk to my school. 
I would go by myself. Wow. So I was old. very independent starting like five, six years old. I would cook my own food. I come home. There's nobody home. I would do my homework. I had the keys to the apartment. I would leave, go play with my friends. Like literally just no supervision. Do whatever you want. <laughs> Damn. So um, then she gets another father. Well, another man and we were living together and that was like the lowest of um of our i guess lives um he was very poor we didn't really have anything because my mom always relied on the men in her life to provide and we lived in like this tiny wooden shack if you even it's not even a cabin or a home um, and there was no running water. We had to go in whole buckets. Um, there was no heat. We had to cut the wood. I mean, it's like living off the grid, literally. Damn. We had no stove. The only way we would cook is like put the wood, like the burn, uh, the wood burning oven, um, stove. And then you have the metal rings and then you take it out and you put the pot on top. No toilet, not, like we had an out, outhouse. Now this is Siberia minus 30. Damn. Go, go in the outhouse in the middle of the winter. Damn, so this is, uh, this is about as harsh as you can get in terms of living conditions growing yes. up in Siberia. I mean, this was your yeah. life. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So then that father, um, that stepfather ends up committing suicide and dying in my mom's arms. Oh my God, that's tragic. Yeah. Um, oh. He, was, he had mental issues and he was drinking a lot. And then my mom started drinking with him. And um, that's what I'm saying. That was like the lowest point of probably her life and my life because they would go on to drink and binge for a week. And there's no food in the house. And it was like, you know, they would give me money and tell me to go buy them another bottle of vodka. And I remember it was summer. And summer gets hot. You know, you, we would have 80, 90 degrees. And I had no summer shoes. All I have is fall boots. I don't even have sandals. And here they're giving me money to go buy a bottle of vodka for them. Um, so I already had a lot of resentment with my mom in regards to her putting men over me all the time. Mm -hmm. And it was right after that relationship that I think she was at the lowest in her life is when my grandmother went, I got something that's going to help you. And she gets her into Scientology. Right. Because she has traumatic experiences. Um, my stepdad basically took poison and he was dying for 40 minutes. And it took an ambulance to get there 50 minutes. Oh, my God. So she and went were you, in. Were, were you actually physically present when that happened? No. Okay. No. And well, thank God. I mean, yeah. thank God. Yeah. I was actually at my great aunt's house, which she's the one who raised me when my mom would just abandon me. 
Got it. And Got it. There was a lot of times where I would just literally get on the bus, go across the city, and go stay with her for a few days. And my mom and this, didn't even look at me. And this was your grand this was your grandmother's sister. Sister. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So she pretty much raised me. Yeah. Uh, her and uh, my great grandmother. Oh, your great grandmother was around and in, in the picture as well. Yes, a lot. Okay. Yeah. Okay, got it. Yeah. So, so your grandmother then comes into this situation. I've got exactly what you need, and what and and then basically what happened from that point. How did this? How did this proceed from that to you physically being in Clearwater? My grandmother first bought my mom because we had a mission, a Dianetics mission in Borno, in, in Siberia. So she bought her a couple intensives of Dianetics auditing to basically get over the trauma of here's your loved one dying in your arms for almost an hour. So my mom started doing Dianetics auditing and then I, she, my grandmother bought me a couple courses, very simple courses, assist. Uh, children's communication course and things like that and then she said listen um, nothing is holding you in Siberia um, now my grandmother was already in FSC in, in Moscow she goes nothing is holding you there you um, obviously can't handle relationships and you need help and you don't have a stable career Not, nothing is holding you why don't you join the SEER and you can go to America that was uh, like beginning of 99. And my mom was like, United States, are you kidding me? They went, yeah, let's go. Like, let's go. And I think she just wanted a clean slate. She just wanted kind of just start over, start fresh. And we went to Moscow. And at that time, we couldn't stay with my grandmother because she was a sea orb. So she had her own birthing, and I remember at that time, the, before the Moscow War got this huge, beautiful building, they had this really old um, building, and then they bought, another, they bought another piece of property that used to be an old government daycare. And that building was pretty much abandoned. They weren't using it for anything. So we were living there in this old Soviet Union Russian daycare building. Wow. For like six months because, you know, we had to um, get the pre-qualification program for the Sea Org, which okay. is to do more courses um, and things like that. Because your mother was totally green. I mean, she, this was her first Scientology experience. And generally speaking, as desperate as they are, Sea Org recruiters can't just take people off the street raw. I mean, Sea Org, yeah. you have to at least understand a little bit of Scientology because you're moving up to full-time, flat-out, 24-7. That's all you're doing is Scientology. And you're doing it for the rest of your life. So yeah. you want people who have some concept of what it is that they're going to be getting into. Uh, well, the prerequisite, uh, our pre prerequisite, was to be a Scientologist for two years. Now, oh, my grandmother, two years. okay, 
Okay. Yeah, but my grandmother kind of bends. Uh, basically, my grandmother sent a Dianetics book to my mother exactly two years ago. So right. she said she got into Scientology two years ago. My mother right. never read that book, but she said she has been a Scientologist for two years. So we did some courses and uh, uh, my mom was working at a restaurant as a hostess. I was just hanging around the org and doing courses. Um, and we finished the program. We did all the courses that we needed to. I think we needed to do like five courses a piece. Um, and again, there were, I remember doing um, How to Raise Children. That little tiny booklet, yeah. I mean, it was nothing. And I remember my mom was saying, oh, my God, this is so great. It has helped me so much. And she actually continued doing Dianetics auditing. And, yeah, I mean, I, I can't say anything bad about it. Those beginning courses weren't. There's nothing wrong with them. They actually made sense. Absolutely. And, Absolutely. Yeah. I have um... – and I and I guess I should just sort of comment here as well, just to for anybody who's just newly seen this kind of stuff and doesn't know all about you know all this stuff. Um, the beginning lower levels of Scientology are based on common sense principles. Most of it's plagiarized from other sources, and it generally appeals to people, which is why they continue doing Scientology. You're not getting yeah. new and space aliens and weird space civilizations and all this other crap. None of that happens on day one. None of it yeah. happens on day two. None of it happens on day three. That stuff doesn't hit you probably for months, maybe even years. So I would say a good decade until you get to OT3. Yeah, for most people, that is the case. So Unless you're, not, you're really wealthy. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I've seen people do it in a matter of a year or two, but that is yeah. the exception, not the rule. So yeah. all the things you're talking about, I just want to make sure the audience gets that, you know, this is the usual experience is that the lower yeah. level stuff is like, oh my God, this makes so much sense. And if you think about it, offering some constructive common sense principles for somebody in your mom's condition was probably very revelatory to her. She was probably like, oh my God, this really makes a lot of sense. I can live my life according to certain principles. Maybe I should yeah. care about my kid. Maybe I should try to be a responsible mother and not just leave it all up to some guy because that hasn't yeah. really worked so good. I, but I'm curious. I want to ask, when you say, you know, your mom was getting this auditing seemed to help her, what did you notice? What Were, were there actual substantive changes? There were changes because um, she kind of clung out of that depression um, which I think is understandable. Having somebody die in your arms is very brutally die after poisoning is, I would say, very traumatic. Um, and I remember her telling me that she would come out of these Dianetic sessions and she would say, you know, uh, and she would use the Scientology words by then. She would be like, you know, all this charge is blown. 
And it cut, I mean, now that I think about it, it makes sense. That's like, as if you're going to a therapist and you're just telling them how you feel. And if after you went through something traumatic and you open up about it and you just talk about it, it's going to make you feel better. Exactly. Therapist, psychologist. I mean, it's pretty much the same principle. And then I noticed a change in her because she did some little course and it was about learning about the eight dynamics. Okay. And then I remember her saying that she was always concentrating on her second dynamic and mostly was on the men and not me. But since I'm part of her second dynamic and she needs to start living for all of her dynamics. For herself, for me, for her husband, for the group, for for everything. And she needs to start caring about everybody instead of just her and her needs. Which I was like, yay, finally. (laughs) (laughs) So it looked like this was actual positive change. Yes. That's a very important point in this whole story that often gets glossed over. We sort of take it for granted or we talk about it and we go, yeah, there was some good stuff, but then there was all this abuse and you go, well, yeah, that abuse exists. But the reason you even went into it in the first place was because of this, this, um, this seemingly amazing stuff going on that looked like positive change. Exactly. Okay. So, and then we sign our seer contract and I remember signing it. Oh my God, to this day, like clear as day, I was sitting in my grandmother's office. She puts this contract in front of me. My first thought was, this is childish. Why is there seahorses on there? (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. I mean, for an 11 year old child, I was like, what is this, an aquarium picture book? Like, I don't. (laughs) Right. Yeah, and then I started reading. I actually read it because, you know, I was kind of grown up by then. Um, I was reading it. I was going, wait, billion years? Now, I didn't know about past lives because I've never done any courses with the whole past life situation. Oh, right. So how did they explain that to you or what, what was said? Um, I remember my grandmother going, well, yeah, you are, you know, you're an eternal being. Like, you will die, you drop this body, and then you will get another one. And then I'm going, no. Like, we were Christian. I wasn't raised Christian, but, like, the reason why Russia is having so much problems with Scientology is because the whole country has one religion. Uh, Okay. it's Christianity. Okay. So I'm like, okay, but I was taught it's heaven and, and like, I, I don't get it. And then I remember my grandmother explaining it to me. She goes, well, you know how Christianity is one thing, but then in like um, Buddhism, you know, you, you have a lot of lives and you reincarnate it. And then when she kind of explained to me that way, I was like, Oh, well, then maybe I was just living in the wrong religion. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Yeah, I'm like, okay, this is like Buddhism. You, you, you reincarnate and you can reincarnate in, in, in an animal, in a plant, or a human being. And then my grandmother's like, yeah, yeah, exactly. And I was like, oh, okay, 
cool. But why am I signing a billion-year contract again? <laughs> Eleven-year-old well, critical thinker. <laughs> yes. Um, she said, well, you know, once you're in a Sea Org and you finish off this life, you're going to be able to remember this life. So when you get your new body next lifetime, you're going to be remembering that you were in a Sea Org and you're going to come back. And I was like, okay, that's a whole bunch of horseshit. I didn't say it out loud, but I just went, oh, I don't like this. I, 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 it, it rubbed me the wrong way, to be honest, from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And but what am I going to do? I mean, I'm well, 11. There is, there is a certain amount of that when you're 11 years old, because, um, you know, freedom of choice and freedom of movement is not something 11 year olds necessarily have when it comes to major life decisions. So, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So I signed it and she had to send uh, a CSW for us to get approved to come to flag. That took a couple weeks. Uh, and then in the meantime, we got an appointment with an interview uh, in the embassy to go get our visas. And uh, OSA flag right away sent us an invitation for an R1 visa for my mom, which is a religious working visa for my mom. And I think it was a, a B2, it's called. I'm not, I don't remember 100%, but it's a religious volunteer visa. Oh, okay. My visa was not to work. Because I'm underage, they couldn't even issue me a religious working visa because I'm underage. So I had a religious volunteer visa. Okay. And As I sort of, is that is that sort of what they do? I guess I'm I'm sort of imagining this that that for the family members of re- true religious workers, you know, missionaries, um, yeah. you know, people like that, they're going to go do missionary work in South America or something amongst the tribes. They're going to bring their kids with them. So that's yeah. how that would, that's how that visa work would go. Okay. Yeah. But at that point, it was a big strain between United States and Russia and it was getting better, but it was impossible to get a visa to United States. Just okay. a regular tourist visa. It was impossible. So my grandmother was stressing a lot and she gets through people. She trains and she coaches them what to say at the embassy because she would send flag over, uh, a public to flag. So she was coaching us as to exactly what to say, what not to say during our interview. And it was like a 40 minute interview at the embassy. And we had to show pictures of proof that we have family here. I remember we had to bring pictures, recent pictures of me and my grandmother and my mom um, and our family back in Siberia. And that show that we basically have ties to Russia. And that we're not going to just leave and not come back. We had to prove that we're going to come back. And our visa was only for one year. One year. Okay, so you're going to get a one-year deal. Okay, now let me interject here. Let me ask you a question about this because I'm really curious. What was your concept and what were you told about to to contribute to this concept of America? What, what, What did you think you were going into? I had a 
concept of America or what I saw in Hollywood movies. Okay, so, and, what, and what, so what had you seen then? What was the idea? For me, it was the white picket fence houses with the golden retriever. And I remember watching that movie, Beethoven. Yes. <laughs> so really that was my concept of America. This beautiful suburban house and a happy family. And they weren't wealthy, but they were upper middle class. They had a car, they had a house, they had good jo jobs, you know, kids had all the necessary needs, had went to school. And I mean, middle-class America for me, that was a dream. I mean, I didn't really care for getting like rich, but I was like, just give me the good life. like the decent life, you know, I'm good. But then my grandmother um, showed me actual, she had a booklet, like, um, like a binder of pictures from Flag. So she showed me pictures of Hacienda is where the staff lived. She showed me pictures of the rooms. And of course they look so nice. Um, and then that there is a pool and there is a gym and you have um, a dentist on staff, which they did, um, you know, and your uniform would be provided for you. Your burden would be provided for you. Food is provided for you. There was pictures of the CB, the, the Clearwater building where everybody used to eat. And pictures of those long tables with the big metal platters with a whole bunch of decent food on it and everything. And after looking at those pictures, I was like, hell, that's like a thousand times better than what we just went through. Sure, let's go. I mean, this isn't a nice suburban house with a white picket fence, but this is still better than what we had. So yeah, let's go. Um, but I wasn't 100% sold on Scientology, Scientology. And I was like, well, why can't we be like my grandmother? Work in an org and kind of still have our own life? But not, but see, again, I didn't know that I was going to be so secluded. I had no concept of what actual Sea Org is. I thought oh, it was no, and that's, that's, exactly the, that's exactly the point that we're making here. That's why I'm asking yeah. you about all this, because I really want to know the specifics of the sales job that's done to get people over, because your case is, I'm positive, not unique. I think oh, that yeah. your case is very representative of how people are sold from Eastern yeah. European countries and also from Southeast Asian countries. I believe the same Mexico, thing is going on, you know? Mexico, Venezuela. Yep. Everywhere. Yep, South American so, countries, that's right. Yes. I mean, we were sold at it as it was this beautiful compound and you're taking care of it. And you're getting paid. Right. Did they tell you that it was only 50 bucks a week? Did you have that concept when you went in? Yeah, but okay. here I will explain to you why I thought that was a lot of fucking money. <laughs> in my hometown in Siberia, now, at this moment, an average teacher's salary a month is $500. And you wow. could live off of that. 
You could. Damn. You could live off of that. That's, I did not know that. Yes. So my husband actually took a trip last year and we went to my hometown and it was a culture shock for him. <laughs> did you show him the shack that you grew up in? I mean, Jesus, it was, not I mean, I don't, it was gone. Okay. It was gone. I, I don't mean to treat all this with a whole bunch no, of no, no. I mean, this is really awful stuff. It's just, if you can't yeah. laugh about it sometimes, then it just becomes horrifying. So, no, but we did stay at my great grandmother's apartment. Okay. That was like built during the Stalin years. Um, wow. So, uh, and I remember we could, this is last year, we could not spend $500. Like, we couldn't spend it. Huh. Like taking cabs everywhere, eating in restaurants, taking my family out. We did not even spend $500 in a week and a half. Damn, that's quite interesting. Okay, so that actually, I'm really glad that you said all that because that really does contextualize $50 a week spending power in Siberia. And the concept you had of that is not just yeah. an 11 year old's concept of money, but it's actually, you actually had a fairly realistic idea given the parameters you, you know, the, the environment you'd grown up in. Yes. Of course, you come to America, $50 a week is nothing, but you didn't know that. <laughs> you know? Yes. Okay. So, yeah. was but there. Then to think, but then to think that they would provide living quarters. Uniforms, you don't have to worry about buying clothes, food. You don't have to pay rent. You don't have to pay utilities. I mean, it's really just your pocket spending money. That's what we thought, right? And right. it's like, okay. And I remember we were even told you will be provided with shampoo and the soaps and everything else and the sewing kit and the whole nine yard because, you know, everything has to be unscented. Right. So that would be provided for you because you can't just go to the store and buy unscent, you know, buy regular shampoo and conditioner because they're all scented. So I was thinking, well, even down to toiletries, they're going to take care of us. So $50 for me, and then I'm thinking, well, $50 for me, $50 for mom, that's $100 a week. That's shitloads of money. <laughs> like for me, I thought that was a lot of money. And, and I had a very good concept of money. At that at that age at 11 i was pretty much self-sustaining at that time right so, so so basically a lot of smoke and mirrors and this is and the and the really you know usually it's a a nameless faceless sea org recruiter quote unquote who's doing this in this case it was your own grandmother there was a sea org recruiter too oh was there yes Okay, yeah. so was the grandmother operating as sort of what they call in Scientology the, the tag? Was the Sea Orc recruiter mainly the one doing this, or was your grandmother the main driver? How did that both, work? Both oh, because okay. uh, the Sea Orc recruiter um, was from Flag and didn't speak English, so my grandmother was like the translator. And I guess Wait, the tag. He didn't speak English? Well. Huh? He didn't speak English? No, it was a woman. I don't remember who she was. Um, no, uh, she didn't speak Russian. No, she spoke English. 
Oh, she did. Okay, you said she didn't speak English. She spe- She didn't speak Russian. Yeah, sorry. She didn't speak Russian. So my grandmother was like the, the in-between and, uh, uh, yeah. Okay, and got it. And she did a lot of our visa thing because obviously the recruiter wasn't as knowledgeable in it as much as my grandmother was because she handled all the visas for the public to come to flag. So she kind of had more knowledge about it. Of course she did. Of course she did. Your, your yeah. grandmother is probably fully up on all the ins and outs of those visas because that's her job. Yeah. 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 Cause you're, cause as you mentioned, it was impossible for people to get tourist visas yet her entire job was to get people those visas so she could send them the flag to pay the yeah. big bucks to do the mm-hmm. Scientology services. So she had to figure this stuff out. Yeah. Okay. Was there anything else to the sales job of, of, of appealing to you to get you to agree to do this? Anything else we haven't covered? Yes. Um, my grandmother actually told me, you know, this has helped your mom so much already. And if you go and you join a Sea Org together, you're going to be living together. Um, you're going to see her every day, you know, she's not going to be this crazy wild person that goes out and parties. Like she can't do none of that stuff. She can't drink there. So then I was like, this is great. They're going to like, you know, pull the reins on her. So she can't go buck wild crazy. And, um, we are actually going to like have a relationship, like start having a relationship. And like, finally, it's just me and her. Like, I was like, I don't want no more fathers, stepfathers. I just want like, I just want my mother. That's it. Little did I know she was going to trade me in for another stepfather. <laughs> well, exactly. And also dump you in the EPF course room and purify in the sauna all day. I mean, I, I, yeah, wow. Okay, so yeah. how, <laughs> okay, so, so let's say, okay, so you go from Russia, you agree, you double, you know, you sign the contracts, you get, oh, okay, yeah, the visa interview, let's talk about that actually, because yeah. you were prepped by your grandmother on what to say and that sort of thing. How, yeah. what did you, what did you have to say and how did that go down? Were you, were you interviewed alone as an 11 year old uh not alone but uh they basically asked my mom the scoop the story and then i was standing next to her and my mom was showing pictures that we have ties we have family and everything else and um we're going there and then we're gonna come back and uh I think we had to prove that my mom partially owned the apartment building of my great grandmother in Siberia. So it's like, we have some property here. We have financial ties. Um, and then, so then the, the, then the counselor uh, basically told her to stop and not to say anything. And then you looked at me and then he said, who are your family? And then he asked me basically to list all my family members and um, where does my mom work? Where, does we, where do we live? 
So basically putting me on the spot in front of her to make sure that I confirm the story, which okay. my grandmother prepped me. I knew exactly what to say. Yes. Um, Cause my mom actually didn't have a job and a friend of a friend quote unquote gave her a job on paper. Oh, wow. Okay. So, so that she has, that's one of the other reasons why she's going to come back because she has a job that she has to come back to. So My I was goodness. Coached on that as well. Did you actually think that you were only going to be gone for a year or did you no. know you yeah. were not coming back? Yes. Yes. Oh. Okay. You knew you were lying I'm through your teeth to this visa officer. You were just saying what you had to say to go mm -hmm. live the good life. Yes. Okay. All right. Very, very easily understandable how anyone could justify something like that, given all the things we've laid out already about your upbringing and your mom and your life. And like I said, I think that your story is extremely representative of almost everybody coming over from these Eastern European or third world uh, countries. You know, I'm not trying to paint this picture that everybody in Russia or everybody in these countries is miserable, horrible, living degraded conditions. That's not the point at all. The point is that there are reasons people come from these countries to Americans, specifically into the Sea Org. And they are yeah. sold this bill of goods that you guys were sold. Mm -hmm. And as we've already discussed at the very, very beginning, none of this is true. <laughs> you know? Yeah. But it's such a well, rosy picture. You know. I also wanted to add, um, in Russia, the relationship between a citizen and a government worker, like a police officer, is not the greatest relationship. The regular public doesn't really trust the police. And if somebody got into a fight, they're not going to call the cops. Because the cops are going to be like, what, what do you want me to do? Why? You got into a fight. You got into a fight. A lot of, I mean, I think now the corruption is better with the police in, in Russia, but a lot of times the cops would just beat somebody up just for fun of it. Damn. So the idea that the government structures, organizations are not really trustworthy and they're kind of like a-holes. So my grandmother actually did kind of spill that into that like the government is always trying out to get you and they're liars and they are, you know, they, they, they don't look in your best interest. So don't feel bad about lying because they don't want the best for you. So for me, it was kind of very easy to just say, these people are assholes. So you know what? I'm just, I'm just going to say what I know they want to hear. And that's it. And then I'm going to tie that in with Scientology and Sea Org brainwashing about police and government agencies that they can't help anybody and they don't, they can't even really even do anything for you. And don't trust the police. Don't call the police. 
for me, it was very easy to accept because I never lived out in the real world in the United States to know that the police in the United States is completely different than the police in Russia. You know, that's um, like if you're driving and you broke a law and let's just say you took the stop sign and the cop pulls you over, you can't just slip him a hundred bucks and keep going. (laughs) That like, if your husband is beating the shit out of you that you can call the cops and then they're going to arrest him and put him to jail. Those concepts didn't exist in my mind because Russian police, especially in a small city in the middle of nowhere, it was, yes, the big cities, Moscow, in the, in the big metropolitan cities, yes, the police is better there. But in rural little cities, it's, it's useless, absolutely useless. I mean, right. so that really... I think people that are coming from Eastern European countries and like we were saying, South America and the Asian countries, they all have very similar relationship with their police. And the idea that now you're in the Sea Org and I'm really unhappy over here and I'm abused and all I have to do is call a police officer and they will actually help me doesn't even come to their minds because they don't trust the police. Not only because of their experience in their own countries, but because of what the Sierra and Scientology has brainwashed you and that kind of validated the picture that they had about police officers and the government agencies. Exactly. So you get sold. Yeah, the, everything comes together here. Yes. To to the Sea Org and Scientology's advantage. Yes. You know, and basically what we're talking about here is a human trafficking trade. Mm-hmm. I mean, to really be blunt, right? Because you you know this is not. Um, it, it has a lot of parallels, I think, to what I understand about the sex trade industry. Uh, you make promises to these young women or you offer them, you know, some, uh, some material benefits, some money, things are going to be so much better and they willingly go along and suddenly they are sex slaves. Well, in Sea Org, suddenly you are a slave. You are a work slave. You're, you're in this, in this yeah. situation at Clearwater or in Los Angeles at the PAC base, uh, wherever you end up being in the Sea Org, you're in a slave state. I mean, you're working all day, every day, seven days a week. You're not getting money that you think you're supposed to be getting. Your provided uniform is maybe one or two shirts and one or two pairs of pants. I mean, what happened? You know, how did all those promises? Let's go ahead and get back to your story here. What happened? When you actually I remember we came very late at night. It was already like 10 p.m. I mean, the flight was like 16 hours with layovers. Um, We were told to look for the white van uh, with the flag sign on it. We found it and we got on. We did not speak any English. I mean, zilch. Thank God the airport shuttle driver was a Russian guy. 
Lucky day. Yes. So he brought us to Fort Harrison and we just come to the security and we're like, hi, we're here. And they're like, who are you? <laughs> so, they didn't they even know. know you were coming? No, because the, the, the airport shuttle didn't even come specifically to pick us up. It was just a shuttle that ran. And I guess he was dropping somebody off and then we were told to look for that van. And we're like, that's our van, let's go. And the security called into the HCO uh, and it was already, by then it was like midnight, nobody was around. So there was a Russian security guard. So they got him so he could at least translate it. And um, I remember we came into Fort Harrison, we were starving. Um, they were like, oh, you can go buy food at the uh, Fort Harrison canteen. And we're like, um, we have some rubles. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Aren't you going to provide us food? Like, we came here to work for you. Um, give us everything you, you know, you were supposed to give us. And they're like, yeah, yeah, no, 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 no. Um, uh, everything was closed tonight. So if you want to eat, just get something to eat here. So I remember um, the Russian security guard ended up spending his own money. And he gave us, he bought us, uh, I remember he bought me a glass of milk and a protein bar. And it was the most disgusting thing I ever ate in my life, those protein bars. And it was disgusting. I was like, I muscled it down only because I was starving. I mean, it was a 16-hour flight. So... They didn't know what to do with us because all of the HCO guys are already gone. Um, so they were like, okay, we're going to put you in a Mariner. You remember that uh, little motels that they had there? Yep. And that's where the outer, outer trainings lived at that time. And I remember going to the Mariner and I was like, this is awesome. I mean, it was like a, a, a motel, a decent, like... I would compare it to like, I don't know, like Quinta. Yeah, it's a two and it's a two, two and a half star hotel quality. Yeah. Place. Yeah. yeah. And this is the and this is the these and these were hotels. I mean, they were properties yeah. that the church purchased that were hotel properties. And they mm -hmm. purchased them specifically to birth outer org trainees who come to flag for training for months or years at a time. Yeah. This is where they put them up. So they put you guys up there. So, okay. Yeah. It did have, the room did have two bunk beds. Mm -hmm. um, but it was fine. I was like, this is so much nicer than what we were just living in. And that old government uh, Russian daycare building, like, this is good. Um, I remember I could not turn on the shower. Because you didn't know how or... No, no, because in Russia, we have hot, cold. Right. <laughs> this is, you have to pull on you and then turn to hot and cold. I remember me and my mother were like scratching our heads. We're like, <laughs> we can't turn on this rigging shower I don't, because we're turning it and it's not, the water is not coming out. We didn't realize we had to pull. We had to pull it out, yeah. <laughs> It was, uh, yeah, um, so I was happy with the Mariner hotel room. Um, little did I know that was temporarily. Um, exactly. 
then we went into the HDL the next day into uh, the Coachman building. Uh, we had to do our life history form, which was so bizarre for me at that time. I was like, what the hell? I was like, do we have any KGB officers in our family? I don't know. Ah, no. <laughs> it was just. Now, was now the- this whole form was in Russian? Yes. Okay. That's really something because that means, I mean, this is an extensive form. This is like 20, 25 pages of questions. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. the life history in Scientology covers everything it asks for everything Mm -hmm. every friend you've ever had your relationship with them now your family every family member you know Mm -hmm. every sexual encounter you have ever had of any kind even solo all the details everything jobs education all of it so the fact they had translated this into russian and had it available for people indicates to me they had a need for that. Scientology does not do stuff unless they have a yeah. need for it, you know? Well, little did we know, but there was already close to 25 Russian Sea Org. That's what I'm talking about right there. Yeah. And, they were know, and this is 1999. 1999. Right. So this was clearly a line that was working for them. They were getting yeah. staff from this, mm-hmm. you know, getting Sea Org yeah. members for this. So, okay, so you do all the, you know, the the stuff that, you know, you have to prep for and then you get onto the EPF. Yes. At what point, how far along was it before you realized that this was not what you were promised? Like the fourth day. Okay, and do you remember what happened or what, what had occurred that really you went, oh, wait a second. So... We were told that we have to go and live at the Hacienda um, in a specific EPF birthing. And I remember arriving there because we stayed at that Mariner uh, for two nights until we got approved to go into the EPF. So the third night, they bus us to Hacienda. And then I'm, I'm thinking, oh, this is the pictures that, that my grandmother showed me. Yeah, yeah, okay. And I walked by, oh, there's the pool, cool. Never been in a pool in my life. I mean, seriously, I was like, this is awesome. Um, and then we had a muster and then it was like, okay, lights out, good night. And here we are with our suitcases going up the stairs, the second floor, and I walk into the apartment and I was like, what the hell is this? It, I mean, as soon as you walk in, the smell of mold was overwhelming. It was just, I think they took the most shittiest, oldest apartments that they had, and then they stuck the EPF in there. The AC unit there was the, 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 the AC unit in the utility closet. It was broken. So the water was leaking and it was leaking onto this 60s old, disgusting, burgundy shag carpet. 
and it smelled so bad. And I remember walking in and this is what's supposed to be a living room. So you have like in a regular apartment, this is a living room. You have a walkway into a little dining room area that's connected with the kitchen. And then you have another two bedrooms in the back and then one bathroom. So I walk in into the living room. There's three bunk beds in this living room. Three. So it's six people in the living room. Then the little dining room where you can literally fit one tiny little table with four chairs. There is a bunk bed there. And then in the bedrooms, there is three bunk beds in each bedroom. So and you've got, and these are, these, the, and the bunk beds are too high or three high? Two. Too high. Okay. So you got six, six, six. And two. And two. You've got 20 people packed into an apartment that is actually a hotel room that's meant for one or two people. This was an apartment building. Hacienda apartments are apartments. apartments. Okay. Yeah. So, so it's a one, it's a, it's a two bedroom apartment. Two bedroom apartment. Okay. So two people are meant to live there, maybe three, and you got 20. Yes. Okay. And one bathroom. Right. For everybody. For everybody. Was there actually, were all the beds, when you guys showed up, were all the beds full? Yes. Right. So you did have 20 people in there. Yes, absolutely. How the hell did you work out shower duty? I remember I used to wake up at five o'clock in the morning so I could just take a shower first between everybody else. So what I would do, um, I think, and they put that bunk bed um, in the dining room for me and my mom because they didn't have room. So me and my mom were sleeping in the dining room and we had no, there was no, like at least the other two bedrooms in the back, they had doors. We have no doors. So now if anybody wakes up in the middle of the night and goes to the kitchen to get a glass of water, we're, they're walking past us all the time. So since we're the closest to the bathroom, I would wake up at five o'clock in the morning, I would go take a shower, get fully dressed, make my bed because we would have inspections in the morning to make sure the bed is tucked in perfectly, make my bed, lay on top of the covers and go back to sleep for one hour. So that's you know, the way. It is only in the Sea Org that you would demand a bed be made in your birthing so you can bounce a quarter off the off the top of the covers yeah. and yet have mold in the closet two feet away because of a broken air conditioner that no one can deal with. Yeah. That is the that is a perfect picture of the Sea Org. <laughs> okay. And then our, our, our building, for some reason, was infested with the pomato bugs. Oh, God. Florida. Yes. Oh, God. Those giant cockroaches looking. Oh, I hate those things. And oh, they they're nasty. They were everywhere. They were yeah. everywhere. Like, you walk in into the birthing at night, you turn on the light, and then just one flying right at you. And they uh. fly. Yes. Between Ugh. those bugs and, well, they're technically bugs, but I call them roaches. 
-hmm. and the mold and the nasty old i mean it, it wasn't renovated from the 60s and it was disgusting the shower had tiles falling off like we were missing tiles in the shower the floor had like the linoleum you know the thin linoleum tiles that were off and then when we had to do our birthing and cleaning and they would come by for an inspection we would nicely put it back it's not glued but you put it back into the spot and then scrub everything like it was insane it was so yeah by like the fourth day i was like okay this is not what i was promised and i remember no. bringing it up with the epfmaa and the epfic and i was like this is not i'm not i'm not happy this is not okay like i've lived in shit i've lived in a wooden shack but let me tell you it was much cleaner than this right <laughs> So they were like, listen, this is the whole purpose. You're an EPF because you need to be okay to be living under stress and, you know, certain conditions that if you just confront the mess, um, that's the whole point. So, but once you finish the EPF, you're going to go into the nice staff burden, like you saw in the pictures. And I went, so then I thought, oh, the Mariner room okay so this is basically like a boot camp i have to get through it and then once i get through it i'll get back that mariner room which is okay all right let's do this um little did i know i was stuck on it for a year <laughs> exactly and once you just to ask just so i'll know once you did get through this fucking epf that took you a year to get through because of the language barriers the non lack of help etc cetera, etc cetera. did you get a nicer birthing it was a step up <laughs> it was I a mean, step up <laughs> did you, let me ask you let me put it this way did you ever get what you were promised no okay no okay I always wanted to fucking get married in there so I can get my own room with one bed. So that was that. Yeah, no, no. We yeah. All, I, yeah. I've always lived. Um, at one point, the EPF was moved to QI, which is the quality in hotel that they have, which is like a half an hour drive from the base. That was worse than Hacienda. Like that was worse. So then I finished the EPF and then I was posted in the AO and then they moved me back to Hacienda. But still it was the same thing. It was, I lived in a living room with three bunk beds. And right. it was this unrenovated old 60s, 70s apartment that, okay, the AC wasn't leaking and it didn't smell like mold, but there was, Nothing was like everything is outdated. Nothing was a kept. Here's all the stuff that I did on the EPF between ages 11 and 13 because yes. I just turned 13 and I finished the EPF. So we did housekeeping in Fort Harrison, Stain Castle hotels. I worked in the um, Lemon Tree Cafe 
in the kitchen and also in the Fort Harrison restaurant. What was that restaurant called? I know now they changed it, but um, on the second floor, the actual restaurant. Oh yeah, I forgot the name of that place too. The, the Hourglass? Yeah, that could be it. That could be it, yeah. Um, and, I wore, and I remember there was a chef. There was a French chef. He was actual chef. Trained, that's what he did before he joined the, the French guy. And I remember I was 11, 12 years old. There I am, cutting, shredding, using butcher knives. I mean, big equipment, no problems. Um, then one thing that I did love working about the kitchen is that that chef was really nice and he would actually give us some food that he cooked for the public, which that burger was delicious. <laughs> but then right. I would also go work in the dishwasher um, for the hotel restaurants. But the worst was doing the dishwasher and the dining room duties for the CB, for the, for the staff. There was this huge machine. The dishwasher machine was, I'm not kidding, the size of a bus. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's how long it was. And it was so damn hot. It was so yeah. hot in there. And there I am, 12 years old, picking up these huge plastic containers that has about 30 glasses in there, picking up these huge plastic containers that are packed with plates, and I'm running that dishwasher at 12 years old. So what ended up happening was, oh, we did that. Then we, renov we renovated and built the RTC birthing at the Hacienda. And I remember we used to work practically all-nighters for two weeks straight. I'm 12. 12 years old. You're up at 2, 3 in the morning doing physical labor. Yes. Okay. Painting, first demolition, then painting. Then we did all the landscaping. We had to dig huge holes to plant the trees and everything. Um, paving the sidewalks. Um, everything, everything. And what, I have, what I have so many, I have so many yeah. questions here. Let me just interject a couple real fast. You're 12 years old. You're on the EPF for a year. So you've seen a lot of people during the time you were there, you saw a lot of people come and go. Um, how did you ever, besides all the ranch kids, cause we had 50 of those of varying yeah. ages, some younger, some older than you, besides them, were there other children on the EPF with you during that time period? Yes. How, if you were going to estimate percentages below 18, over 18 on the EPF during that time, what would you say minors versus adults percentage wise? About 30, not including the it rangers? Yes. Take them out. I would say kids my age was like 15 more, like teenagers. Okay, up minors up to about the age of 18 or? 18, yeah. Okay, so 18 yeah, or below is a, Yeah, okay, so about, so about how many of those you said? About 15. About 15, and about, 
And during that time, how many adults? Guestimate. I'm, I know we're guesstimating here. 30, 40. Okay, so basically a third of the, yes. of the number of people, basically, is what we're sort of estimating here. Even if you take out the ranch kids, because I'm taking yes. them out because that's an outlier. That's an unusual situation. The yeah. ranch kids yeah. was a, was a one-off. You know, you can't mm -hmm. just say, well, there were 50 kids and it was, you know, and that's what they always do. Yeah. But a third, and you had a, see, you had a unique experience of being there for a year. So you saw yeah. all the new folks coming in and a third of them are minors. That is quite something. This is 1999, the year 2000. 2000. Right? So mm -hmm. then out of the, not everybody who comes on the EPF graduates the EPF. Some people wash mm -hmm. out, right? Could you say again, estimate from your time period there about how many of those guys, that total number of people were, were successful, were graduated and, and made it into the Sea Org? 90%. 90%, okay, good. So we are talking about a good chunk of these people being minors and being and being worked. And I don't know what other word applies there. If I'm wrong about this, and people can tell me in the comments, but I don't know what other word applies here than human trafficking. Absolutely, I agree with you, absolutely. Uh, I, yeah, I don't know how else to describe this. I mean, this is a violation of every child labor law that exists. Uh, mm -hmm. We've had these laws in place since the early 1900s for a reason. And yeah. the CEOR gets to violate them left, right, and center because they're religious workers. This is Not insane, only that. you know? Not only that, but I remember there was a Polish, uh, a Polish lady I'm sorry, Czech Republic, um, she came with two daughters. They were both uh, underage, but they were like older, like 16, 17, maybe. And the mother didn't make it. She wasn't qualified for some reason. So the mother didn't make it. And then she left. The two daughters stayed and one of them on the, that was on the EPF. And one of them was like, you know what? I, I, I want to go home to mom. And the other one, for some reason was so dedicated. She wanted to stay. I don't know why, but she had no doubts. She was staying. But the younger one uh, was like, I want to go home to mom. And she like, I'm going to go with her. You, for general public, you have to understand you're being brought from another country, number one. You don't know anything but the base. And you're, you're not allowed to walk anywhere. You're not allowed to go anywhere. You're not allowed to go to the store. You're not allowed to go to CVS. You're not allowed to get anywhere. You don't know where to go. On top of that, you can't stay in the country because Scientology provided you with a religious working visa. So now you're like, well, I either stay here or I'm going to have to go home back to my country. But then let's just say you go, you know what, F this. I will stay in the United States illegally or I will find a way. They have your passport. So you can't even leave. The OSA takes your passport right away before you even go into the EPF. 
while you're filling in your life form and everything else, they take your passport from you. So you're literally physically, mentally, and legally being held hostage. Exactly. Because you can't go anywhere without your passport. That's right. And for those who are wondering about this, because people have asked me about this, clearly she did not know, and very few of these people know, that there's any possibility that you can go to your local consulate and get a new passport. This yeah. is not an understood concept amongst these people. No one tells yeah. you that. No one gives yeah. you any authority or leave to go to your local consulate or to do anything. So you are literally taking everything into your hands if you just get up and walk out and hope for the best that you're going to find some way to make this work. That's, that's not really an option. But I also want to bring up a point for Americans to kind of understand. Those European countries, Russia, Hungary, Mexico, Taiwan, all those countries, there is no ID card. Right. Your passport is your ID card. Oh, that's a really good point. That's a really good point. You have yeah. no passport. You have no way to prove who you are. Right. You really have nothing. So I had my Russian birth certificate and my passport. Oh, I actually didn't even have a passport because I was written into my mom's passport. And okay. in Russia, kids get written in, you get a page for children. So I only had my Russian birth certificate and they let me have that. But I had nothing. I had no ID card. I had no driver's license. I had no way to prove who I am right. at all. Right. So we are talking completely captive audience here, completely stuck, right? Yes. And, and psychologically, there is no out here. Yep. Right? And it's re it's re I'm really glad you have just highlighted all of that because these are really, really important concepts to get for people, for, especially mm -hmm. for my American audience. So, because um, this is, I mean, bait and switch doesn't even begin to describe the level of betrayal that's going on here, yeah. you know? Um, okay. So now <laughs> we've pretty well covered the conditions of your arrival here and how that was not, you know, what you thought. I have a couple questions and then I'd like to come forward to what's happening now because we mm -hmm. seem to see indications that all of this is still going on. Yeah. So let's, let's, cause this is not ancient history folks. This is not like, oh, this all happened 18 years ago and isn't that terrible, but Scientology's reformed and changed all its evil ways. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, 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 yeah. no, 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 no. But first off, let me ask you a couple more questions because I think these are gonna occur to people who are watching this. Did you guys, the, the Russians, the Russian community on FLAG, right, at FLAG, was there a Russian community? Did you guys intermingle and talk and share stories? And was there any kind of, did anybody ever say, you know, this wasn't what I was promised? Was, did it, was there any kind of talk like that between you guys when you mm -hmm. could speak Russian with each, with each other, you know, where English speakers wouldn't hear you? First of all, by the time you get into the Sea Org, you already know you can't speak that way. Okay. 
Okay. Because I was put in my place really fast on the EPF. And I'll cover that really quickly. Yes, please. My mom put EPF in three, in three months. So she finished right before, uh, right at uh, Christmas. And on New Year's, she was already a CREG member. Now, in end of January, she's telling me that she's getting married. And I was By the so end mad. of January? Yes. Four oh. months after we came to flag. Wow. So, that's, uh, that's, 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 that's how fast I got married. That's impressive. Yeah. That's way too so, fast. Yeah. I was mad. And I'm, I'm a 12-year-old child that has a lot of abandonment issues with my mommy. No, now I find out when she told me she was getting married, I find out that I would not be able to live with her. I didn't know that. So we were on EPF together. We lived together. So I'm thinking I'm going to finish the EPF. We're going to continue living together. And they're telling me, no, if she's getting married, she has her own burden with her husband and you cannot live with them. For me, it was just like, what the hell is wrong with you people? Like, she's my mom. How can I not live with her? Like, this is so odd and strange. Like, I was, I was pissed. I was pissed because, again, for me, this is a clean start with my mother to have a relationship. I was so pissed that she was getting married that fast. I'm going to have another stepdad. And then that she's pretty much abandoning me again. So I actually wrote, um, oh, I was mad with her. I was pissed with her and I threw a tantrum. I mean, a kid's tantrum. I threw a tantrum. And she wrote a KR on me. Your mother then, wrote a KR on you? Yes. Okay. That I was preventing her from doing the greatest good for her second dynamic. Um, so I, I was still on the EPF based on that KR, the EPF IC and the EPF MAA put me into ethics and I was in ethics and I was in ethics for about a month and they basically wouldn't let me get through ethics until I would be okay with her getting married. And I was not, I was like, this is not okay. So they made me write my OWs. Because they're saying the only reason why I'm having a problem that my mother is getting married is because I've committed some evil sins against my mother or my previous dad. So there I am writing my OWs for weeks on end going, this is bullshit. Like I was protesting. I was doing that under protest. Then I actually had a step check. And then they basically beat me down to the point where I said, fuck you, do whatever the fuck you want. I'm done. I just gave up. I was still against it. I didn't change my viewpoint about it, but I realized that they're not going to let me get out of ethics until I just agree with them. And they made me read all these policies and books about second dynamic and everything else and overton withholds. And I had to, I think I had to read the ethics book from cover to cover 
I mean, they were doing anything and everything to handle me to allow my mother getting married. So all the Russians ate together. We had a huge dining room table. It was like 25 people. And they were all from all different organizations. Now, here's, I'm going to get back to you as to why you're not allowed to really talk about it. Yeah. We had a security guard that was a Russian guy. And then we had an ethics officer who was a Russian woman. So when you're sitting on the table with everybody, and yes, you could speak a different language, but I have a security guard. And then I have an ethics officer. So it doesn't matter. I still can't complain because now they... So once my mother wrote a KR on me, I was like, I can't say shit because these motherfuckers are just going to write me up. And then I'm going to be in ethics for, for God knows how long. I don't want to go through that stuff again. So I remember that was February, beginning of February. I come to, because most of the Russians were in flat crew, so they were eating the second shift. And the EPF would eat the second shift. And I would eat with my mom. I wouldn't eat with all the EPFers. I would eat with all the Russian people which was against the rules, but I did it anyways. Because that was the only time I could see my mom. So I remember coming to lunch and all the Russians are sitting at the table and I don't see my mom. And I was like, where's my mom? Like, is she on post or what happened? And they're like, oh, her and Andre went to the courthouse for their lunch hour. And I just went, are you serious? Like she went behind my back, went to the courthouse and got married. I didn't even know about it. So then how, after that, so then how I, familiar were you at this point with this guy, Andre? You've met him. Has he tried to at all become a father figure in any way? No, because I lived in Hacienda. They lived in QI because they were both flat crew. They were the, the service, not, not the auditing and everything. They were the service guys because my mom started out as a night bathroom cleaner in St. Castle. That was her first post. So they lived in QI. I lived in Hacienda. I didn't see them at night. The only time I saw them was during lunch and dinner. That's it. Right. And so I just, I, just, I just have to, I have to point out right now, just because it just drives me so insane, the hypocrisy. This is the church of family values, if you listen to what Scientology, how Scientology talks about themselves. Yeah. They're all about tight, close families. This is mm -hmm. how the Sea Org, the upper, upper elite level of Scientology, this is how they treat families. Yes. Please, absolutely. please go on. Yeah, please go yeah. on. Yeah. So they got married and I stopped eating with them at the dining room table. I was mad. I was really, I really felt betrayed. I really felt betrayed that she went behind my back. Once again, she abandoned me. She wrote a KOR on me. She threw me to the wolves to fight for myself for absolutely no reason where it wasn't even my fault. And she just went, ah, you're, you know, they're taking care of you. I'm going to build my own life with my new husband. So I stopped eating with them at the same time. Well, well what happened was the flat crew would eat on the, on the second floor. The EPFers would eat on the first floor. So I would just 
rarely ever went out and ate with the Russians while I was on the EPF because I just, I was mad at my mom. I was really, I felt betrayed. And that's, and that completely makes sense given the context of what's going on here. Yeah. Wow. Fucking crazy. Um, okay. So that kind of. I had really quickly, I had a medical condition since I was a child. Um, basically since Siberia is so freaking cold, I had kidney infections on very severe, like very severe kidney infections when I was a child to the point that I was hospitalized one time for three months. So, um, when I started the EPF, I was, you know, my, I was remembering telling them like, I can't pick up anything heavy and it's so hot in Florida. I really need to dehydrate a lot because of my kidney issues. And I remember doing construction. I remember working outside. I remember doing the dishwashers and everything else. And my kidneys started acting up again and I was in a lot of pain. And again, I threw a fit. And I said, I'm not doing this. I don't care. I'm not going to dishwasher. I'm not doing the dishwashing duties. I'm not doing construction duties because then that's when they started building the extra three floors in the Sandcastle Hotel for the advanced organization. We were doing all the construction. Sledgehammers, breaking down walls, everything. 12, with a medical issue. And they said... At first, they were telling me knock it off and stop being, I forgot, banky, childish, whatever. Um, then I actually just one day went to the MLO, to the medical liaison office. And I said, I have a medical condition and it hurts. I can't bend down. Like, I'm going to the bathroom every single 10 minutes. Like, this is bad. Um, never took me to the doctor, by the way. Never, never. They did allow me to do um, event setup, which they were, at that point, it was two Russian guys, and they were kind of like, became like my father figures, I guess. And they would give me the easy stuff, you know, the, the actual decor, decor. And I loved doing that. That I was happy with. Um, and... Uh, like, well, if you want to talk about the kind of work that 12-year-olds should be doing for events, it should be folding papers and making nice things. It should not be taking a sledgehammer and tearing down walls or running electrical or painting. I mean, th 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 these people are, in this is insanity is what this oh, is. But because, but because those two guys were Russian and I was Russian, um, they would give me the easy stuff. Yeah. But the rest of the EPF unit has to haul these stackable chairs that you would stack about 12 chairs on top of each other. You put a dolly underneath, you put it behind you on your back, and you roll that in the Fort Harrison Auditorium to set up the events. And then you have to set all these chairs up. Then you have these huge 12 feet long tables, folding tables, that you have to roll and then open them up, set them up. This is 12, 13 years old. You're doing professional event setup. Anyways, I finished the EPF. Um, there was, you know, pretty much that was it. Like, 
any hard manual labor that you could think of, we did. Um, basically anything that the RPF couldn't do or didn't have time to do, we would do it. Um, so then when I was a tech page, that was a little bit easier. There was a lot of running back and forward, running around St. Castle and all that stuff. And, you know, you're not allowed to take the elevator. So you always have to take the stairs. Uh, but otherwise it was long hours. The other thing with, um, tech division, a lot of times people think, well, an auditor and whatever they have it, it it's easy peasy they go into session they did the session and then auditors usually are the more privileged ones because by policy in order for them to audit they have to have a certain amount of sleep so they actually get to go home on time and everything else yes auditors did but all the other staff would have to um work way into the night even though Sometimes it wasn't even our, like our jobs to do. And I think, like, I've, I know there's a lot of people that talked about the in-face and, you know, the LA works and PAC and everything else. And I know people, and, and it is kind of true, they say flag is like a piece of cake compared to a lot of those other places. And yes, I do agree. The, the, it is a little bit, better if you're not the one who is directly making the money. Yes, I get that. And you don't have to draw all these conditionals, by the way, okay? Because yeah. what you've already described is a fucking horror show. So No, but I'm talking about like my mom and my stepdad. They didn't go through the craziness that I did. For them, it was a little bit easier because he's a gardener. My, my stepdad is a gardener, and he right. loves doing that. That's, he actually got a degree in St. Pete Botanical University. Like, he loves plants, and he loves doing that. And who's going to be up his case if, you know, he's not going to get in trouble, quote-unquote, unless, like, he completely lets the landscaping go and it looks completely horrendous. He just goes upkeeping and that's it. Everything is great. He doesn't have such stressful quote unquote life. My mom now, she runs the same castle in the Osceola Hotel. So that she has stress. Mm, I mean, yeah, but at the same time, I think she's kind of liking it because Tom Cruise, John Travolta, Kirstie Alley. She feels she's important for once in her life. She has this position um, and she's, you know, online directly with all these celebrities and everything else. So yes, is Flag somewhat more comfortable and better conditions and not as abusive? Yes, definitely. If you are working in certain areas, the people that make money, we were hammered every day. We had to make two million a week, a week. So, and us, the tech staff, since we're not directly making the money, we're not the regis, but we had to get people through 
So that person can be sent down to the reg and the reg could sign him up for another 10 intensives and make him stay and then reg him and literally tag team and reg that person to stay for another six months and go all the way up to OT7 once he finished his OT4. And we had RTC, on t I mean, I'm not kidding, standing behind us all day long, yelling, screaming, rice and beans. If your statistics are low, guess what? Now you're gonna be doing marching drill drills and running until two o'clock in the morning, just as a punishment. Or, you know, the old, the, because RTC was saying, first thing in the morning at eight o'clock, every single auditor has to be in session. There's five HGCs, each HGC has about between 15 to 20 auditors. So we need to make sure that every Preclear is there on time at eight o'clock in the morning that the folders are CS and ready to go. And every single person has to be in session. We have this little green light when the auditor turns the in session sign, the, light, the board had to be green, light, lit up green. And if that didn't happen, we all got into deep shit for it. And it got to the point that we would have to stay up until three, four, five in the morning until the CS that works at night, because the CS usually works at night, CSing all the folders, would finish all the first folders for the next day, the first and the second folders. So here we are, just waiting on the CS to finish doing the folders. Why, why, why are we being punished and we have to stay up until four o'clock in the morning when it's the CS's job? So we got into a lot of shit and we had a lot of pressure and having somebody screaming and yelling at you every single day and being punished with food denial and eating rice and beans. And, and you know, that was very similar to the infants. You have 15 minute meal breaks, rice and beans, no pay, and RTC screaming at you, yelling at you pushing there were people that were being pushed there was not feasible beatings but like if somebody did something wrong and, and it's like okay this auditor you know whatever you need to you need to go and they would literally like push you physically just go or get out of my face between ages of 13 to 18 that was pretty much my day to day exactly again Human trafficking, anyone? Yeah. This, these are minors being treated this way and being made to work like this on these schedules yeah. under these conditions. Mm -hmm. All right. So let's, we're going to fast forward now because I know the yeah. rest of the details of the rest of the years of your time there are, you know, atrocious. And, um, and I don't mean to, you know, push that under the rug or something. You've, you've told that story. That's why I referenced yeah, your... Your interview with Jeff right but you have noticed things you've been keeping up on this and you've been keeping your eyes open and you've been seeing mm -hmm. videos that get posted around in places um, yeah. that indicate that this kind of activity is still very very going you know very very much going on flat out um, as a way for Scientology and for the Sea Org to get a workforce for flag mm -hmm. because we're talking here about a state's crew. I mean, your mother now runs these hotels. She started out, I'm sure, just cleaning rooms. 
yeah. your you were a tech page like these are this is the quote unquote grunt work of the sea yeah. org right and they're and they're importing people from other countries to do this work uh and like we said the conditions are what the conditions are so what are you seeing that's indicating to you that this is still going on so to kind of back it up just a little bit the last yep. time i spoke to my mother that was in 2014 before i was declared and i brought up all my grief and all my grievances, the grievances that I had with the Sea Org because I explained to her my experience was very different than yours and we really rarely ever saw each other. We were in different schedules and we lived in different places and I basically didn't see my mom for eight years. And when I told her the conditions in the AO and particularly how, you know, all these people are being worked and then especially how it's children, um she told me oh you know i did had a problem with that myself as well and i did bring it up within the sea work but just to just to let you know we we don't basically recruit anybody and they basically allow kids sign contracts but they cannot start the sea work until they're 16 years old so i guess that was her handling me and that was the idea that I always had for some reason I believed her when she's my mom I believed her that they don't take anybody who's under 16 16 is still young but at least it's better than 10 and 11 and 13 and 7 and 8 and 9 so since I have been declared and my mom has disconnected from me the only way that I could see her or anything is to actually watch some of these protest videos that people post on YouTube of people, all the sea are getting off the buses and as, as sad as it sounds, that's how I see my mom. So I would sit there and watch these videos and hopes to catch a glimpse of her coming off the bus just to kind of know you're still there, you're okay. Because if you're coming off the bus and you're in your uniform, at least I know you're not an RPF. It kind of gives me a little bit of information and kind of go, okay, you're okay. All right. No problem. Or that you're sick or whatever. Um, so I've been watching all these videos for years now. Um, and one thing I noticed is that everybody is still there. I mean, every single, I mean, very little people left flat. And then I started noticing that there are kids going in and out of the buses. And the last video I saw, I mean, I, I haven't dug that far in, but the last one I know is in 2012, there is a video of a whole bunch of kids. And I mean, there are, what do you, what do you, what do you think, Chris? You saw it? Seven youngest? Uh -huh. 10, 11, very, 12? very young, very young, very young, very small. Um, they're wearing the cadet uniform, which is the blue shirt, blue pants. And when I was in the Sea Org, there was a cadet work. There were very little small children at the QI, and we used to go there for schooling, for quote unquote, Amer you know, regular education once a week. And I thought that cadet work was done and over with. 
So here I am watching this video, watching people off the bus, looking for my mom, my stepdad, or my grandmother, because they're all in the yard. And I'm seeing a whole bunch of kids getting out with the cadet org I see. The lady with the, the heavy set lady with the blonde, with the white, white, white hair. She was the cadet I see, and she was the supervisor when the SEAL members came to did our schooling on the weekends. And in here I see her going to the bus, and there's like 15 kids. And they're like between ages 17 and 12. And I'm going, how was this still possible? I mean, us tiny little kids, and they're seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, and they still have a cadet work, at least for sure in 2012. They still had a cadet work. And then recently I saw an interview of somebody, I'm not going to mention names, but another Russian person that went to flag with his mother as a public at nine years old. And they made him sign a CIRA contract with his mother at nine years old. And he was a flag from 2009 till 2012. And he did went into the cadet work at first. And then he, once he turned, he said the cadet was up to thir age 13. So once you turn thir 13, I think. So once you turn 13, you go on to staff. You join the Sea Org. And then he went on to EPF and did the EPF when he was 13. And then he was a staff member. Needless to say, he was a staff member in the Sea Org at Flag without his parents. His Unbelievable. Parents weren't even in the country. And Unbelievable. 2012, 2013. Wow. And he said that when he went to do his schooling, they had a whole they had a whole table of Russian kids. And then kids from Mexico, Venezuela, Taiwan, Italy, Spain. So it's pretty much foreigner workers come with their kids and they're using them as slave labor. Yep, exactly. That's exactly right. I realized I forgot to ask you a question earlier, and I know this is going to occur to people. Um, you were here on a religious worker visa for a year. Mm -hmm. What happened after religious a year? Volunteer visa. Volunteer visa, right. That's right. Religious volunteer. Mm -hmm. So what did your mother and you do after the year was up? Like, how do they deal with this? Because you're supposed to go back. Yeah. But the, the also in Russia, is, I mean, the also in, in a flag is actually pretty good with all the people that they import. <laughs> <laughs> good in what way? How do they how do they deal with that? They actually keep that. They keep their legal issues in check. My visa was running out. Yeah. They basically had like the power of attorney to speak for me. And uh, they would like as if I hired an immigration lawyer and that immigration lawyer files all the paperwork for me. So they would file all the paperwork for me. They did all the legal stuff, got my visa renewed um, for two more years. And then I think for another two years, and then they filed for my green card. They did all that. They filed for my green card. I remember I had to go get my fingerprints and had an interview for my green card. 
and there was a few other people from other countries that kind of did it together because we had to go to Miami, so they weren't going to let me go by myself. So um, they put a whole bunch of us in the van, and we took a trip to Miami, and we did all the fingerprints and the interview for the green card, and then also handled the rest. And then I remember them saying that they have my green card, but I never had my green card in my hands. I had to go and sign it and pick it up, but they had it. So they basically legalized me in this country, which is, I guess is a one good thing that I could say. At least I wasn't like illegal and then they're like, bye. <laughs> well, I was wondering about that because I remember in PAC, this was an issue. We have guys who their visas would start running out or get close to running out. And we'd have to ship them back to Europe, you know, and then they'd have to yeah. go through the process again. So clearly there was a whole learning curve on this, but clearly they've gotten past that learning curve because now they've got it figured out where once you're here, you know, if they got your body and they got your passport and your paperwork, they'll run you through the whole, you know, gauntlet. And of course, yeah. this is the thing that Scientology will spend money on. They wouldn't mm -hmm. dare spend money on improving the living conditions of the people they're bringing over. Heaven forbid yeah. we do something like that. You know, mm -hmm. let's throw them in a shithole and treat them like dirt. But we'll spend any amount of money we need to in order to keep them there. That's. But you do have to understand, Flag is actually a very oiled machine in regards yeah. to immigration because this is roughly, but I would say, about 65% of staff of FLAG are all immigrants. Damn. Damn. See, it did not used to be that way at all. That is, that is a yeah. major shift. And it speaks to the demographics of Scientology these days. This is yeah. something to pay attention to. Because this is not, I mean, if there were plenty of, you know, Americans... I mean, it's, it's, it's a lot easier. I can tell you internally within Scientology and the Sea Org especially, it's way easier to be dealing with native English speakers because oh, yeah. of Hubbard's materials are, I mean, that's how he is. There's so many idioms and colloquialisms and things that he, you know, turns of uh, figures of speech and stuff that Hubbard uses. And it just yeah. takes hours and days and months. I mean, witness... I did the EPF in five days. It took you a year. You're not a stupid person. In fact, your schooling in Russia, I mean, you were actually an above average student uh, for your age in some areas. Yes, like I did the math test and I only finished five years of schooling in Russia. So I finished five grades. I skipped one. So basically I finished sixth grade. And then when I did my test for math for American education, I scored on the eighth grade level. Right. So, so, so you're not, a, my point being, of course, you're, you're not a stupid, slow person. You're not a slow learner. You're not backwards. It's not like you don't understand. Maybe I am. <laughs> well, I'm just saying, you know, yeah. still, it, it, with all the bullshit you had to go through, it took you a year to finish what it took me five days to finish. And believe me, yeah. as a supervisor in Scientology, I did not enjoy foreign language students. It was always a struggle. So, But, uh, but just only, to make a point, it wasn't only yeah. that I had problems with studying. It was the ethics cycle mm -hmm. that took a month and a half with my mom in marriage. 
Mm-hmm. And then there were the urgent projects that we were actually not allowed. Instead of going to study for five hours, we were only allowed to go and study for two and a half. Right. Because we had to do the construction on the AO building, or we had to do the construction of the RTC birthing building. And there was all these important things that they literally used the EPF as slave labor. And they didn't even give us the time that we were supposed to study. So that's one of the other reasons why my EPF got dragged out even more. Exactly. So the point being that they're happy to have the labor force. They're happy to keep it, you know, keep stringing these people along. They don't, you know, it, it, they're that, but they're at the level now in Scientology where this is, this is the, the, the pool they have to go to to get people to keep flag going so that their cash yeah. cow can keep going. And these are the elements of the machinery. These are the things that keep the wheels turning. And so they'll pay any amount of money in order to keep this thing going or import these people. Yeah. Uh, but again, the living conditions and stuff, yeah, not, not so important to, to the Sea Org. We all know that flag is the breadwinner. Yeah. Flag makes close to between six and 10 million a week yep. between all the hotels and all the services and all the intensives, 10 million a week. That's a big chunk of all Scientology income. So if you think about it, it makes sense why I haven't seen that many people leave recently from flag. Number one, my mom speaks to my great aunt and my great aunt speaks to me but the only, re- the only way my mom said she will speak to her, because now I'm going to speak, we can't even talk through a third person. Technically, she has to disconnect from my great aunt. But she told my great aunt the only way she will continue talking to her and my uncle is if I will never, ever, ever, that they will never mention my name in the conversation. So we cannot speak. Don't even bring up her name. Period. So the rest of my non-Scientology family is like in between this, you know, weird, like walking on eggshells around her, knowing all the, all the, all the, all the truths about it, because I've told them what it's really like, and they don't want to lose whatever the little relationship that they have with her, the few phone calls a year. I think my grandma said my, my mom called her three times last year. So... She told my grand aunt that they bought the new um, Sherwood Gardens or something like that. Is the new birthing that they have, and they renovated. And they actually, my mom actually sent her pictures uh, of her and her, I guess, her room, which was decent. It was not as horrendous as the three bunk beds. But again, this is the married room, so you have your own room with your spouse. It was actually decent. It wasn't bad. It was decent. But they bought this old building and they did renovate it for staff. Because they I recruited. Wonder, I wonder how many. I wonder how many thirteen-year-olds stayed up until three in the morning renovating that building. I'm sure the EPF. I'm sure renovated that whole building. Yeah. And then they are now. In the past, you are allowed to have a car at Flag in the Sea Org, but you were not allowed to drive it to post back and forth to the base. Okay. Because you can just take off whenever you feel like it, right? You yeah, exactly. Away. 
the only people that were allowed to drive cars were the execs. So the RTC had their own cars, CMO had cars, and not even everybody. Certain auditors that were very privileged, that especially like class 12 auditors and older in age, they had their own personal car and they were allowed to use it. And basically any other CREG member that were um, important to them because they could bring a lot of money like the Regis. And especially if they had a wealthy family and they, had, they could get money, um, they kind of allowed them to have cars. Um, but now my mom says she has a car with my stepdad. My grandmother bought a car. My grandmother doesn't even have driver's license. Wow. And she has somebody driving her to base. And she's on medical schedule. She only works from one till seven. Your grandmother. My grandmother has a lot of medical issues. Yes. Okay. She so she's, is your grandmother at flag now then? She's not working in Moscow anymore? No, the 10 year ban finished and then they brought it to flag. Okay. Okay. So your mother and your grandmother are both at flag now. And my stepdad. And your stepdad. Yes, of course. Okay. And she has been with him for 16 years. <sighs> that is impressive. I was married for 17 years to somebody I yeah. met and courted for two months. So I get it. Yes. Yeah, it, it happens. That's a Sea Org marriage. Um, so they're getting higher pay. They're getting $100 a week now. So Sea Scientology did get a little clever. Oh, my they're God. They're getting $100 a week. Wow. They're, uh, they're a little less about the car usage and everything else. I guess if you have a medical reason and my mom is an exec, you know, she's a div head. Um, my yeah, she's, mom important, she's an important person now. Yes. She had a cell phone at one point, which was, yes. Because I would wow. call her on her cell phone. Uh, so I think they are laying off a little bit. And just okay. giving that little bit of freedom, just a tap. Because I think if they realize that if people start leaving flag by troves, the income isn't going to be coming in. And that's, yeah. let's face it, that's a big chunk of Scientology's income. Yep. And we're not even talking about IES donations or any other front group company donations. I'm talking about just in services and hotels how much money right. they're bringing in a week. So it's kind of like, it's a double-edged sword for me because then I'm going, okay, my mom has a little bit better living conditions and life conditions, but at the same time, and that's probably what's keeping her in, right? I was complaining about all those things and then they made it a little bit better. I mean, they literally gave them a drop of water while they're in the middle of, you know, a desert. And it's like, well, they're treating us so much better now. They really care about us. Right. Exactly. I, and I want to be clear about something here. You know, when I throw around words like human trafficking, am I referring to you as a minor? Your mother, as a grown-ass adult, can do whatever the hell she wants. And I really don't yeah. care too much about what adults get involved in. Uh, short of the kind of physical abuse and beatings that no one deserves. Yeah. 
I mean, mm -hmm. that's, that's over the top and that's crazy. If you want to go sign up to go be a Catholic monk and live in a monastery on the top of a mountain and not, you know, uh, talk to anybody, you know, or watch TV or have any internet or any of that, I, I don't have anything to say about that. You're a grown adult. You can go do whatever you want. I would assume that the organization... Well, let me just I'm say... I have to disagree with you because you're talking <laughs> with an American... You're talking about an American, right? Here I am. I live in this country. I'm going to go and become a monk. Now, if you're importing and you're bringing all these people from other countries and they're, think, they're being brought here under false pretenses, and yes, well, there are no, that, That's where I was going. That's right. Right. But then they can't leave. They're still legally and physically, even the adult, holding them prisoners. Oh, yeah. No, 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 no. Don't get, no, no, don't get me wrong here. What I, where I was going with this is that when you present a picture that's one thing and then you do something completely different, that's that's where you're crossing lines. That's where you're that's where you're not yeah. able to yeah, that's where I was going. Okay. Is yeah. you know, if you have informed consent is what it's called. If mm -hmm. you know before you go into it what you're getting into and you decide you want to go do that anyway, there's nothing I can say about that. Of course. What I'm trying yeah. to where but where I'm going with this is that's not what this picture is. You know? Oh yeah. Because because people, you know, will we'll get into this, right? They'll be like, well, that sounds really tough and that's really hard. But, you know, it's not as hard as special forces have it. Well, yeah, fine. But if you go join the army and you go into special forces, you know what you're getting into. Yeah. They tell you beforehand. They screen you. They, they actually screen out way more people than they let in for something like that because they know how psychologically enduring and traumatic it can be for people as well as and you can tap out right and you, you can, can tap, tap that's right with this that now that's the that's the acceptable level of hardship and abuse and nonsense that goes on in this world that i'm okay with what i'm not okay with is when you don't tell people what's up beforehand you bait and switch you you, you know you trick them you lie to them and then you involve their young children in your abusive environment who have no power of choice over any of this and never did. That's where this is all human trafficking. And that's why I wanted to draw the line that it's not an abusive environment that makes it human trafficking. It's all these other things. It's the abusive environment, the lack of informed consent, the fact that minors are involved, children mm -hmm. being worked until three in the morning. Are you kidding me? Yep. None of this is okay, right? Yep. But I just wanted to draw those differences because I know that some people look at this and they don't, they're not fully familiar with all the background, all the knowledge, all the information on this. And they go, well, that doesn't sound any different than a Catholic monk, you know? And I yeah. go, dude, you're not really looking at this right. So that's why I wanted to say all that, you know? Yeah, yeah. Because believe me, when I was in the Sea Org, I was never okay with being there. And I mentioned that on Jeff, on Jeff's podcast. I was never a hundred percent believer because for me, I saw the OTs every single day, right? These people coming out and they're like, I'm OT5. And she has glasses that are this thick. Right. 
Yeah, shouldn't you have used the bus to fix your eyesight before you went clear in your OT5 and your glasses and this thick? Like, seriously, right? And all these people had all these problems. And I'm like, damn, you're, you're, you're OT5, you're OT6, you're OT7. Like, how really good? See, I never went after the, the dengue and carrot because I didn't believe in it. Because I saw people graduating at OT levels and I'm going, you're more fucked up than I am. Seriously. And you're all- <laughs> right. <sighs> right. So, and then uh, another part, part was my mom always wanted to have more kids. And she didn't even know you weren't allowed to have kids in the Sea Org until she was on EPF. And she seriously was upset about it. And she was even had a little bit of a doubt. But then, of course, that got cleared away right away. But um, I never wanted to be there for the rest of my life because I always wanted to have kids, especially after, I think, having such a mother like this. For me, it's very important to be, like, goddamn mother of the year. Like, I swear, like, (laughs) I will do anything for my child and I will not, like, I'm ending the cycle in our family, like the cycle of abuse and neglect. That's it. It's going to end with me. So I, I knew I didn't want to be there, like deep down, you know, you have to suppress all those feelings and everything and past sex checks and everything else. But deep down, I'm like, I don't want to be here. Like, but then what do I do? right? I have no American education. I've never lived in the real world in the United States. I don't even know how, like, I, I never even knew that there was social security, that there is driver's license, that there is credit cards, that the credit history, what the hell is credit history? Like, I didn't even know how to use a cell phone right. when I was 18 years old. Never in my life have I used a cell phone. So where am I going to go? What am I going to do? My only choice was to go back to Bumblefuck Siberia. I was like, "Uh uh-uh, I ain't going back there. That's it. No, no. So I was stuck. I was literally stuck. And I guess everything that happened was kind of, you know, a blessing in disguise. But... I'm sure there's a lot of, and the reason why I'm saying is that I'm sure there's a lot of people who are there like that from other countries who are going, what am I going to do? Like, I, I have no choice. Do I go back to my corrupted country like Mexico, Venezuela, and everything else and have that horrible life or do have at least or even if this is abuse but at least this is some stability i know i'm not gonna get shot on the street tomorrow and even if it's beans and rice but i know i'm gonna have some food three times a day so they were very clever and they did that on purpose of getting people from other countries because they're literally they're not gonna leave they don't have family members here You know, it's not like Mark called his dad. Hey, dad, I'm coming. No, they have nobody. Where are they going to go? So they stay. Excellent point. Exactly. Excellent point made made there. They're definitely getting a return on investment there. Let's put it that way. Oh, yes. 
That's for yeah. sure. Big time. What we have now, which we have never had before, is the Aftermath Foundation. Mm -hmm. So people coming out now actually do have a fighting chance of actually making it. Even foreign-born people who have come here who want, if so, if you know, so if somehow through some miracle, somebody can get word about this into, you know, or somebody from Flag is, you know, or PAC or anywhere in the Sea Org is watching yeah. this. You know, there is help available through the Aftermath Foundation, and, uh, and we can help people who have nothing, nowhere to go, nobody to talk to, nothing. You can call the foundation, and something can be done about that. So, um, so I just thought I'd throw that plug out there, too, because that's something that we have never, until very recently, there hasn't been hope for these people. And now at least we have that, Yeah. you know, in addition to other, other resources that are out there. So... Um, so Katrina, thank you very much for doing this and being part of this and, and saying all the things that you've said here. This has been very valuable. Well, thank you for having me. <laughs> you are very welcome. And, uh, and this might not be the only time we talk, you know, you, there's, there's lots of things to talk about with this and we barely scratched the surface. I mean, we kind of went over all the yeah. details of your beginning story, but you didn't leave until 2006. And I am, I, I personally, I have about... 20 more questions for you about how things go on at flag, but, uh, but we're just out of time now. So we'll wrap up now. No problem. <laughs> awesome. Okay, folks, any questions, comments, feedback that you have, and I'm sure you have plenty, leave it in the comments section here on YouTube or at sensiblyspeaking.com. Uh, also, as I've been saying uh, all year here, if you see me wearing it on my channel, it's available for you to purchase at my spreadsheet store. So you can uh, check that out too. Link is below. All right, guys, thanks for coming around, and I will see you next week. Bye-bye.